Well, folks, um, we are at Psalm, I mean, at uh, Isaiah chapter 25. And as I have been reading this week, I was reminded again that Psalm 20, I mean, uh, Isaiah 25 is right smack dab in the middle of 24, 25, 26, 27, which is called, as I shared with us last week, the apocalypse of Isaiah, the the. It's like the, Revel, the book of Revelation is to the New Testament. This section of Isaiah is like the, New Te- the book of Revelation in, a, in, in the New Testament. And I want to read, it's just 12 verses. So I want to go ahead and read through all 12 verses. And then we're going to break it down and talk about it. So Psalm 20, I mean Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. You've made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and, the, and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples and sheep, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears of, from all the faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on his mountain, but Moab will be trampled under him as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will spread out their hands in it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim, and God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground, to the very dust. Started out as a pretty cool prayer, but then it kind of got dark. Dirty. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. As I was studying this, and as I said, this is, um, this is the central part of this apocalyptic section in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 24, we talked about last week, it's talking about the end times. It's talking about the, 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 all of the bad stuff that's going to happen and how things are going to come... Cataclysmic drop, just driving down to nothing. And then finally, God is going to come back and set up his thousand year reign. And judgment will take place. And God's going to be in charge forever and for always. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah breaks into this song of praise. And scholars have pointed out, if you look at verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 26, 
and compare it with verse 1 of chapter 25, there is one distinct difference. So let's do that. Chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt your name and praise. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. Look at chapter 1 of verse 26. Chapter, verse 1 of chapter 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. And the distinctive thing between these two verses is, in chapter 25, verse 1, Isaiah says, I. In chapter 26, verse 1, Isaiah says, we. And so he's talking about... He's talking, in chapter 25, this whole thing is literally Isaiah exalting God and praising God and giving glory to God. But it's all from his heart. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it for yourselves, but if you've ever been studying the scriptures or just spending time in God's presence, and all of a sudden some incredible truth comes to you, through your study of the scriptures, or through your meditation, or through just your time of prayer, and it's like all of a sudden, your spirit just wells up from within, and you just want to worship and praise God. It's like, wow, that is amazing. I give you glory, God. I give you praise. You are glorious and amazing and exalt you. And that's exactly what we see happening here in chapter 25 of Isaiah. Isaiah has just talked about the end times. He's just talked about all the things that God is going to bring about. And then his soul just swells with praise and glory to God. And he begins these words, Oh God, I exalt you. I praise your name. In your perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things. Now, I'm going to come back to this in just a few minutes, but I need to get a little bit analytical in this and, 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 and to be able to break this apart so that we understand what we're looking at. Isaiah chapter 25 is a song of praise. Isaiah chapter 25 is indeed uh, a personal testimony from Isaiah, but it is broken down into three distinct sections. Isaiah chapter 25 verses 1 through 5 is a song of praise from Isaiah's heart. Isaiah chapter six, uh, 25 verses 6 through 8 is another statement of praise or a statement of, of, of song, if you will. And it's talking about this glorious, eternal, victorious banquet. And then finally, there's this third song that comes out in, in verses 9 through 12, talking about the song of faith's vindication. I believed and trusted God, and I am rejoicing in His salvation, and this is glorious. So there's these three distinct things going on in in Isaiah's prayer, or oath, or not oath, uh, uh, time of worship. And I want to go to the middle first, because quite often in Hebrew poetry, which is what this is, this is a poem... In Hebrew poetry, they have what's called chiastic structure, which means the way it's structured, the central theme, I mean, the most important thing of the statement, the most important theme of the statement is in the center. 
and then it's bookended with other thoughts. And so if we look at this central thought of Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, let's look at that and see what it's talking about. And it says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a a feast of rich food for all of his peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines, And on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Number one, this is a statement from Isaiah saying, Thus says the Lord. This isn't just pie in the sky, hopes and dreams. This is something God himself is declaring through his prophet. And what is this mountain that they're talking about? Well, scholars understand that the mountain is Jerusalem. Because in the end times, we understand that Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem is the central focus of all of humanity, where God himself is going to come back and set up reign. If we look at the New Testament, we see that when Jesus returns from his time in heaven and descends back to the earth to set up his thousand-year reign, we understand that he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and then he's going to come, and there's going to be this new reign for a thousand years on the mountain of God. And so the prophetic word that comes from Isaiah in chapter 25 is, the Lord says, I am going to prepare a feast. Now, why would you prepare a feast when you come back? It's a victory feast in their culture. When there has been a battle, when there has been a war, when you have finally come back victorious, there's a parade and there's a party. The parade is called a triumph. It's where you come in and you parade all of your weaponry and you parade, you parade all of your goods that you brought, that you brought back from, the, from the, the, the spoil, if you will, that you brought back from the battlefield, and you parade, parade your, your prisoners, if you've brought any prisoners, and you present it to the king. That's the triumph. And then there's this huge party that the king puts on, welcoming the victorious general and his army. And that's what's happening here, is God himself. Because if you look at verse 6, and I don't know how you, what Bible translation you're, you're bringing, but this is the NIV that I'm reading from. And the way the NIV translates things, when it is Yahweh Sabaoth, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of all of heaven's armies, what they do is they print out the word Lord in all capital letters, and it says, Lord in all capital letters, Almighty. So we know, as, read, as we read this, it says, on this mountain, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord God Almighty, the great, the greatest king there ever is, is the one who's preparing this banquet. And it is the best that can be provided. Aged wine, best meats. And, and in one point, I think in the King James, it says the meat with the marrow in it. And so it's just rich and choice foods and wines. And it says, this is being prepared for the people of God in this victorious party that's being done. And at the same time when that happens, now we go into verse 7, it says, And on this same mountain, he, Jehovah Sabaoth, is going to destroy the shroud that envelops all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. What? What shroud? 
What sheet could they be talking about? If you go to 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but if you go to 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about the veil that Moses wore as the glory of the Lord was shining on his face. And it says, whenever the Mosaic law is read, the Jews still have a veil because they don't get it. They don't fully understand the truth. They've missed the fact that Jesus was their Messiah. And so what Isaiah, hundreds, thousands of years is saying before Paul even wrote that was, at the time of the end, God Almighty is going to remove that shroud, that veil, that sheet, not only from the people of Israel, but from the peoples of all nations. What will be the end result of that shroud being removed, that sheet being removed? They will finally understand the truth. They will know that Jesus is the Son of God, that God presents Himself to us and is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a triune God. They will fully understand the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and how it made atonement for all humanity so that we could have right relationship with God by faith, through grace. That shroud will be finally removed when Jesus sets up this party which is going to kick off the thousand year reign. And verse 8 says, not only that, but God's going to cause death, that final enemy, to be swallowed up in victory forever. And as a result, the sovereign Lord is going to wipe away the tears from every face. He will remove disgrace from the people, from all of the earth. The Lord has spoken. That is some good news. God is going to throw this huge party and he's going to make it clear to everyone the gospel and death will be swallowed up. But then if you go to the last part of this, it says, in that day, verse 9, they will, surely, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. That's the response of the people to this huge party that God is throwing and the removal of the shroud and the idea that no longer will they die and no longer will there be tears. And finally the response is going to be, This is our God! And we trusted Him and He saved us and this is the Lord and we trusted Him and we're going to rejoice and be glad in His salvation. This is wonderful. This is glorious. But then you look down in verse 10 and there's something negative happening. It says very clearly, the hand of the Lord will rest on His mountain, on Jerusalem. But Moab will be trampled under him as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will spread out their hands in the manure as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. 
God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground to the very dust. What this is saying is even at that moment, there is still going to be people, even when the shroud is removed, who will stand there with their fists clenched, looking straight into the the face of God and saying, I refuse to believe. I will not submit. And it literally describes this as them swimming in liquid manure, trying desperately in their own ability, strength, intelligence, psychology, whatever it takes to get out of this. And God says, enough. And as straw is tread into manure, God pushes them down and says, this is not happening. I am sovereign. And if you will not join me, you will be cast out. That is the most unthinkable thing to me. But you know, honestly, I have faced that. As a pastor, I have been in the hospital room. A quiet me and the person laying in the bed who is dying. No nurses, no doctors, the family has gone, and it's me and the person dying. And I have looked them in the eye, and I have said to them, you know you are in your last hours. Yes. And you know the truth that I have shared with you about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Are you willing now at this time to submit your life to God as you get ready to go see Him? No. Okay, I cannot understand that. I cannot begin to understand how anyone could say that. But that's exactly what has happened to me as I have sat in the hospital room. I have looked at them and have said, you are not going to survive this and you are going into eternity. Are you willing to submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? No! except for the mercy and grace of God in the moments from the time I left that room until the time they took their last breath on this earth, as far as I know, they entered into eternity out of fellowship with God and they are going to be separated from God forever where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it breaks my heart. I can't understand it. But the word of God right here in Isaiah says it's going to happen. Even in the moment of the last days when Christ is here on the earth setting up his millennial reign, there will still be human beings who will stand there in their obstinance and in their disgust of God and anything about God and say, I will not submit to him. And God in his grace and mercy will allow that. I can't understand why anyone would. That's 
especially when it says that the shroud is no longer there. They can clearly see the truth, but they still will not. I don't want to end my sermon on this bad part. But it's truth. There will be people that you're going to come across who will be antagonistic to the gospel, who will not listen to you, who will not submit their heart to God. And it's not for you to worry about. Love them. Minister to them. Be as compassionate and kind to them as you can. Speak the truth to them as often as God will open the doors and allow, and they will allow it. But ultimately, it's still their responsibility before God to answer one way or the other and say yes or no. But the thing I wanted to end my time with us on this morning are these first five verses. To me, I love worshiping God. I am in love with God. I don't understand, and I've said this so many times throughout my 40 years of knowing Jesus, I don't understand how I could love someone I've never seen. I don't understand how I could love someone that I have never physically heard or touched. But I know that 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 he's real and that he speaks to me and that he's present with me and that he loves me and that he reaches out to me. I exalt you, God. You are my God and I praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things. Perfect faithfulness. He has spoken things and said thus and such will happen. And he faithfully makes it happen in my life. He has made specific promises to me and has fulfilled them. You have made a city a heap of rubble and fortified town a ruin. The foreigner stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. Talking all about what we've just been talking about. The time's coming. The time's coming. God is going to remove all of my enemies. God is going to take care of all the problems in my life. God is going to finally vanquish all of the things that are causing me problems. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall in the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. Listen to the, to the two words about ruthless. For the breath of the ruthless is like a driving storm against a wall. But just like a cloud reduces the, sh- uh, the heat of, is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. And as I was, as I was reading this, this is the thought that came to me. Not some scholar, this is just God, the Holy Spirit, and me talking. And I wrote, God, when I think about this breathless, or this breath of the ruthless, I think about the expression, they're breathing down my neck. And God, I, I'm hearing Isaiah say, through your faithful work, this unrelenting, hot breath that is breathing down my neck from my enemies, that is trying to bring death and destruction and harm to me, you provide the shelter. You bring the relief. And the image that I got, and this is what I try to share to the kids, and I know they don't get it, is the storm is not removed. The danger, the horror, the terror is not pulled away and removed necessarily. 
It is hiding yourself within that refuge. That Yeshua Ma'uz is the Hebrew for that place of safety, that lee within the rock. If you will hide within God's presence through worship and praise and prayer and literally say, God, I need you to be a shelter over me. I need you to cover me. I'm not asking you to take away the storm. I'm asking you to help me to weather the storm. See, quite often we have people in this day and age who say, Oh, just name it and Jesus will take it away. And there's no promise in the Bible that I can show you that says that is a consistent thing. Sometimes he will, and sometimes he sees it's necessary for us to go through the horror. Sometimes it's more important for us to go through the horror because it makes us stronger, better, more trustworthy, more of it, more able. Or maybe someday down the road, I'll be able to say to somebody, you know, I've been there. I've gone through exactly the situation you're facing right now. And let me share with you how God got me through it. And if you don't have the real experience of getting through it with Jesus, you don't have a voice in that life. See, as I said last week, it's all good to talk about the pie in the sky and how glorious it's going to be with Jesus in the heavens forever and for always. But the reality is, folks, as long as you're still on this earth, there is going to be bad stuff that happens. Solomon said it in in Ecclesiastes. There is time and time again where bad stuff happens to good people. God allows it for whatever reason. And if you will just rest in him and trust him, he will prove himself faithful and true and he will keep you through the storm. And for me, that's reason to well up with exaltation and praise and trust him and know the future's here. There's going to come a time when God is going to wipe away everything, swallow up death, remove the shroud, bring a beautiful feast. It's going to be glorious. And yeah, there will be some people who even reject that offer. But the bottom line is for those of us who know him, who walk with him daily, who live with him, if we learn day by day to rest in him, to trust in him, to cry out to him when the storms are going on, he is in control. We do not have to fear. I love this image that's on the screen. It's scary to me to think about a tidal wave coming at me. But if God said, you stand on that beach, I have a reason for you standing on that beach. Regardless of how tall the waves are, just trust him. Know that he has you in the palm of his hand and he's never going to forsake you. Because it may very well be that it is his purpose for you to drown physically. You don't understand his purposes. You just have to be obedient. Isn't that a horrible thought? God's in control. I'm not going to have. I'm not going to die through this tidal wave. God's in control, and Jesus is going, "Dummy, you are going to die. I have a reason for it." Well, that's not what I wanted. You said I'm the shepherd. You said I'm the sovereign. You said my, your life is in my hands. If I determine that this is the moment that I'm going to take you off this earth because it has a purpose for the advancement of that kingdom, is that not okay with you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. See, we have this 
Well, I trust Jesus, and he's going to get me through. I trust Jesus, and I'm not going to die from this cancer. I trust Jesus, and I'm not going to go bankrupt. I trust Jesus, and my children aren't going to get divorced. I trust Jesus. See, we always put the the, the disclaimer on the end of that thing. And unless God has specifically said to you through a specific promise in his word or prophetic utterance over you, I have said this for you, don't add to his word. See, where God says, thus says the Lord, then you can hold on to that. You can stand in that and know, regardless of what anybody else says, God has given me a specific promise and I am walking in and I'm standing here trusting. But if God hasn't said it to you, don't presume, just because you're a child of God, that you're going to get through with everything perfectly unscathed. His promise is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he has a plan. And you just have to trust him. That's the promise. And that, for me, causes my spirit to swell. I worship you, Almighty God. I exalt you, O God. Your faithfulness is unfailing. Your strength, your power, you are my refuge. You are my rock. You are my Yeshua Ma'uz. Psalm 28. Yeshua Ma'uz. A place of safety, a fortress of refuge. That's who you are, God. And Father, I give you praise for it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.